0: You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.church. So great to worship with you, hearing your voices. Sitting in the front, I get to hear all of your voices over me, so it's such a beautiful time to worship together. Thanks for being here. I want to take a minute to welcome everyone on the live stream as well. We know many of you are tuning in from all over the city, all over the state. You might be traveling. You might be sick. We're so grateful that you're with us this morning. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard, and we're in the middle of a series called Four Letter Words. Four, it's very provocative, right? I mean, some of you just got, it got really quiet. Listen, we all like four letter words, Okay. We don't want to admit it at church, but the minute I said four-letter words, you had a couple cycle through your head, like, oh, I used that one late last night or early this morning, or when I woke up and I stepped on the Legos in the middle of the night for the 15th time, and that word just came out, right? I mean, you don't even know where they creep up on you. In the Faust house, we have to kind of create alternative four-letter words, because it's not a great look when the pastor, like, goes off the rails in an unfit rage and then invites his neighbor to church. Like, it doesn't... It doesn't work very well. We have all kinds of alternative four-letter words. I'm sure you have some alternative four-letter words as well. For whatever reason, though, at the Faust House, all of our alternative four-letter words have to do with like fecal matter. This is just like, what has happened? The turd, for instance, like, or poop. Like, this is I'm now saying these into a microphone out loud. And I'm realizing I've gone too far. But for some reason, I'm going to keep going. One of the favorites at the Faust house has become poop on a stick. <laughs> Where that even came from? Like I real, I I think I was trying to track down the origins of said phrase, and I think it comes back to me cleaning up after my dogs. We have two dogs. They're in our backyard. They make a huge mess, as you can imagine. Uh, the backyard is the dog's toilet, and so. Instead of cleaning up like a normal adult with like a plastic bag, I was just trying to scoot all of their fecal matter to the other side of the fence. And then I realized, oh, I have a stick and it looks really gross. And so I got to chase my kids around the backyard (laughs) with poop on a stick and it stuck. I, it stuck. Listen, this has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. But our four-letter words, they're not, they're not like nearly that scandalous. There's no earmuffs needed. Um, these are simply words that, generally speaking, you don't want me to say out loud. These are four words in four weeks, um, words that t- normal, uh, normally people don't want pastors to say out loud in a sermon. They make us feel really uncomfortable, and today's word is probably the apex of this series. It's the word give. It's the word give. Literally, when I said that out loud, I heard three or four people go, oh, half the online audience just started to log off. Like, you got... And I feel really, like, I really feel for the folks, the longtime members of this church who've been, like, really trying to get friends to come to the vineyard for the very first time, and now all of your fears have just come true. Like, you bring a friend, and we're talking about giving on your very first week, but we're talking about it, and we love to talk about uncomfortable things at the vineyard. I'm not afraid to talk about uncomfortable things, and in a lot of ways, it's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of spiritual maturity when you can talk about things that are a little difficult. They make you squirm just a little bit, and you can go to Scripture, and you can ask Jesus to speak to you about topics like this. These are really, really important things to talk about. It's a fairly important topic in Scripture. The more you navigate through Scripture, the more you, you realize giving and discipleship, they actually go together. Giving is part of our discipleship, and part of my job is to talk about uncomfortable things and bring them into the light of Jesus and into the presence of Jesus and talk about them together. If you are new to our church, you're here for the very first time, or maybe you're exploring Christianity, you don't follow Jesus yet, and you're here to kind of explore what it means to to have a relationship with Jesus, you might be really surprised. You might be really surprised about the way that God talks about money, and the way that God talks about generosity. You might be quite relieved when you learn some of the things that are here in Scripture. And I think something that's important to say at the beginning of this message, just so that we're all all on the same page, that when it comes to the Christian faith, you cannot, I want to say this very clearly, you cannot buy your favor with God. You can't do that. If you've heard messages like that, this is not that message. You can't buy a miracle. You can't pay for forgiveness. You can't give enough that somehow you get into heaven. That's not how it works. The Bible's very clear that heaven cannot be bought. All that you need in order to experience the kingdom of God in your life is a personal relationship with Jesus. And giving is transformational. We're going to talk a lot about that today. But it all starts with a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you've never started a relationship with Jesus and you want to do that today, then we're going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of our service together this morning. I just want us all to be on the same page that as we talk about this, as we open up the Bible, we're viewing this through the lens that you can't buy your way into heaven. That giving money doesn't somehow make you right with God. Giving money doesn't make you right with God. It's all about Jesus, it's all about his love for you. Everything else is built on that foundation. So let's open up the scriptures together. Last week, when we were talking about the four-letter word pray, we were in First Timothy. We're going to be in First Timothy again today, this time reading from chapter 6. I'm starting in verse 6. It says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, then let us be content." But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And what a fascinating paragraph of Scripture. You know, Paul wrote this to Timothy. He's setting Timothy up to be a pastor of a church that Paul planted. And he's reminding Timothy, you've got to teach these kinds of things. And you can almost feel in the language that Paul knows people that he led to Christ who have walked away from the faith because of the allure of riches. He goes through a couple other godly characteristics to continue to remind the church to seek and pursue, and then he continues the conversation on money and generosity in verse 17. Paul continues by saying, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. This passage about money and and giving and the lifestyle of generosity, it's really, really important for us today. It's really important for us as people who live in 21st century America who live in Fort Collins. I mean just drive around it is a pretty nice place to live. you read this passage and sometimes you can distance yourself from it because it was written 2,000 years ago but if Paul were here today he would call all of us quite wealthy. I mean they used to like gauge your wealth based on how many outfits you had so if you had like two or three outfits, if you could change outfits during the week like you were pretty well-to-do in this era. Imagine that. I mean, this is a really important text for us, but I have to say that God isn't out to get you. God's not out to get you. He's not out to take all of your money to put you in the poorhouse or force you to scrape by just in order to scratch out a living. That's not what's in the text. But God knows something that you and I don't always catch. We don't always wrestle with. God knows what money can do to the human heart. He knows the deceitfulness of money. And he knows that the love of money in our life, it will demand more and more and more of us. And remember last week from 1 Timothy 1 that Christ died to set you free. He died to set you free for eternity, but also from the shackles and the enslavement that can come when you love money, when you begin to find contentment in wealth or possessions. You know, one of the ways to counteract this love for money is to give. And in First Timothy six, really in, in everywhere in scripture that you read about money and generosity, you realize that God is always telling us that giving leads to transformation. That when you give, you grow. When you give, you are participating, God, in your own discipleship and your own transformation. It frees you from the love of money, and it begins to train your mind, and it begins to train your soul not to trust in possessions or not to trust in earthly wealth, but to place your trust in God and God alone. When you give, you grow. You begin to experience Uh, personal transformation, and it's even part of joining God's mission and transforming all things. It starts in your life, it starts in your heart, but it impacts the world around you. And even as you read this text, you see that it does something for you eternally. I mean, there's some really interesting concepts and and ideas in this scripture, some powerful truths. We're going to work our way through them a bit this morning. Look at verse 17 just as a quick reminder. Paul writes, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. I love how it finishes there at the end of 17. God God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. This is an important one to embrace really quick. God wants you to enjoy your life. Like I said, he's not out to get you. He's not out to take all of your money. He wants you to enjoy your life. He just knows that verse 17 and verse 10, which we read earlier, is all true, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and giving is a fantastic antidote to the love of money. When we give, we begin to detach ourselves from the love of money and place our love in Jesus Christ. You know, and a lot of people, we we say to ourselves, if if my salary would just increase... If my nest egg would just get a little bit bigger, if I would get a few more promotions, if I would climb the corporate ladder just once or twice more and kind of build that net worth, then I'll be ready to give. Then I'll have, then I'll have more than enough. I'll, I'll be ready for marriage or kids or retirement or whatever it is. But when you begin to talk like that, you have to take note because what's happening is your heart is starting to lean towards trusting in money, lean towards trusting in that nest egg, lean towards trusting in all of the wealth that you have built up instead of trusting in your savior. And God wants to protect your heart. God wants to protect your heart. He wants your love built on his foundation. He knows that money is unreliable, that it can come your way one day and it can be gone the next. He even knows, it says in the scripture, that money can be deceitful. Money can be deceitful. I just lost my other hand now. I don't know what to do. Money can be deceitful. God knows this. The money can trick you. It can trick you into believing that all is well in your life. If you have enough money, you can begin to purchase things that insulate you from the anxieties of your heart, the things that God wants to work on. Money can be deceitful. And the temptation in a message like it, like this is to, to maybe brush some of these things off, to to be quick to dismiss them, but I want to caution you in how quick you're dismissing some of these scriptural truths, right? The very nature of deceitfulness, the very nature of deceitfulness is that it's hiding from you. It's not easy to find. It's not easy to see in your own mind. It's not easy to see in your own heart. It hides behind the corner. It lurks in the shadows. Deceitfulness by nature is trying to trick you. The love of money doesn't just smack you in the face and say, look at you, you're greedy, you love money. Come and follow the wealth of the world. That's not how the deceitfulness of money works. Deceit is sneaky and it creeps up on you. Even if you've defeated the love of money before, it will lurk around the corner again. There'll be a new stage in your life where you have to defeat it once again. As you get the promotion and you see your salary rise, you're going to have to do some business with God again. As you edge towards retirement, you're going to have to do some business again. As you live in retirement, now on a fixed income, you're going to have to do some business again. The deceitfulness of money will come at every stage of your life. And it creeps up on you in all kinds of different ways. It creeps up on you. It creeps up on you when you begin to say things like, well, I'm, I'm poor. Like, this message doesn't apply to me. I don't have very much, or I don't have as much as I used to. But be careful here. Be careful here because you can have less than you used to have, or you can have less than your neighbor, and you can still be tempted by the allure of riches. It creeps up on us with ideas like, well, Jeff, I already give. I already tithe. I've given 10% my whole life. We don't need to talk about this. Let's move on to the next topic, the next four-letter word. It's more interesting to me. But be careful. Because sometimes we can get into the habit of giving, and we can get into the habit of tithing, and we can forget that our whole life is laid before the Lord. That everything we have is His. That we're laying our life down before Him. Giving doesn't make you immune to the temptation of riches. It's even common to say things like, well, that's an Old Testament thing, right? Or I serve, that's how I give. You know, this doesn't really apply to us today or this doesn't really apply to me today. And listen, just with all the love that I have in my heart, I just wanna say to you kindly, but lovingly and assertively, we have to be careful about the arguments that we create in our own heads about the theology of generosity. We have to be really careful about that. Be, be really careful about how you justify your lifestyle of generosity. We have to, I, I want to caution you with that. Because, listen, for thousands of years, people have established the theology of generosity. We don't get to make up our own theology. There are spiritual mothers and fathers that have gone before us for hundreds and hundreds of years. They built a foundation for us. These scriptures, they date back for thousands of years. They established the theology of generosity for us. We don't get to create our own theology. We rest on the shoulders of those who came before us. You know, a question that I commonly like to ask when we're talking about money we're talking about giving we're talking about generosity is anyone who I get a chance to pastor kind of personally and one on one one of the questions i always like to ask is how are you growing in your generosity how are you growing in your generosity practical and applied theology i have found to be very very helpful in our life how are you growing in your generosity am i more generous today than i was a year ago what what where are the arrows of my heart pointing What kind of journey am I on with Christ right now? And we talk about this with every other area of Christian discipleship, right? Am I more loving today than I was last year? Am I more patient today than I was last year? Am I more forgiving this year than I was last year? Let's have the same conversation with generosity. Am I more generous today than I was a year ago? How is God cultivating a lifestyle of generosity within my heart? And the beauty of this is that it can happen at any age. It can happen at any age because we always have an opportunity to grow with Christ. I will say, the easier, I mean, the younger you start, the easier it is. If you start generous, very young, it's it's highly likely that you're going to grow in generosity as you follow the Lord. And that will continue to be part of who you are. I mean, there are folks in our church that started tithing when they started getting babysitting money when they were teenagers. And they've continued that lifestyle of generosity up into their adult life. This is a powerful, powerful thing. But we also have people in our church online exploring the faith, whatever it is, that have never given anything before. And it's a big leap to give, maybe for the very first time, because it feels like you're giving up some sense of control. And you think that God's trying to control your life. But remember, he said he wants, he's blessing you so that you will enjoy your life. But he also knows that money can be deceitful. And he died to set you free. Free for eternity, but free and the cares of this world. This is important. It's important to talk about because, again, when you create a habit of giving, your giving, it leads to personal transformation. If you are gripped by the cares and the concerns and the stressors around money in your life, money in the future, or whatever it might be, this is probably a really good opportunity for you to pray to God, about giving in a more concentrated way, in a more consistent way, allowing your heart to detach from the cares of this world, placing them on the person of Christ. When you give, it leads to personal transformation, but of course, your giving also impacts the world. Your generosity plays a role in the transformation of all things. Let's go back to verse 18 again. Verse 18 says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And I love how direct the scripture is. I love how honest Paul is being with his listener. If you'll allow me to kind of put on my Pauline hat this morning, then I want to say it just as boldly as Paul. We need to be using our money for good. You need to be rich in good works and to stay generous to those in need all around you. You know, every time you give to this church, part of your money goes to international missions. Part of your money goes to local outreach. Part of it goes to families in need. Part of it goes into benevolence care. The list goes on and on and on. Last month, we took our yearly offering for Convoy of Hope. We do this every October where we invite you to give one day's wage. We pull all those offerings together and we give a huge check to our partners at Convoy of Hope. Many of you know the work that we're doing in Zimbabwe and how much of an impact it's having all around the world. Well, I'm excited to share with you our number for this year's one-day offering. This year, we're writing a check to Convoy of Hope for $65,008.22. That's incredible. That is incredibly generous, and I love how generous our church is. We've always been generous, and I pray that it never, ever changes when you think about that i mean i just have to say like we had all kinds of different people give to that teenagers gave to that we have people with uh, with high capacity of earning and folks with low capacity of earning give to that and god counts every cent every cent counts in the kingdom of god and, of course, we, we also have this building right over here, 1213 Riverside. Many of you know this building was donated to us. Some of you have never heard the story. We had a building in our church's backyard donated to us by a for-profit company. They were just like, you know what? A church needs another building. God bless you. It didn't quite happen that way. It was a much longer story. <laughs> I'll tell the story in the coming months But we have this building and we feel like the Lord is beginning to really lay the vision on our hearts for what we're going to use that space for. Not quite ready to share everything with you yet because there's some I's that have to be dotted, some T's that have to be crossed. We're meeting with the city. You could pray for us because we're meeting with the city in the next few weeks. and We're going to learn a lot more about what it's going to take to renovate that space, what kind of infrastructure they're going to require us to build. And, you know, that impacts the price of the renovation. But God is beginning to give us a really clear vision on how that space is going to impact thousands of lives in our local area. And I can't wait to share that with you. It's just going to take a little bit longer for us to kind of get really clear on what that's going to look like. few more hurdles to get over. But I just want to let you know, like, there's incredible things happening every time that you give. Using your money for good that's one of the most rewarding things that you can do. It's one of the most rewarding things that you can do. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the movie Schindler's List. Schindler's List, it's an emotional film. I mean, it it pulls you in every which way you can imagine. It's, a, it's an emotional film about the Nazis and the Jews and this tension and a journey of a man um, named Oscar Schindler, who's played by Liam Neeson, which you can't like, you always see all of his movies when you see him on film now, but... It's just the way that it is. But there's this scene in Schindler's List where he's surrounded by Jews. He's surrounded by a lot of the innocent lives that he had actively worked to save. And he had this moment where he was undone and overwhelmed with emotion because he still saw gold pins and cars and different things that he could have sold to make more of a difference. And he's almost falling to his knees. And everyone's encouraging, no, no, look how much you have done. Look how much you have done. He's like, but I could have done more. I could have done more. Look at all of these things. It's this moving scene in the movie now we want to be careful because like if you watch that with a little bit of shame it can cast the wrong kind of message and that's not what we're trying to that's not what I'm trying to share when I bring up this movie and this illustration We want the Bible to give us more application than Hollywood okay but it's a really interesting scene because you realize what God can do through generosity you realize how much impact you can have in the world around you when you give extravagantly. You know, God has provided for us so that we can provide for others. He has blessed us so we can bless others. And if we get really good at loving God and loving people, the message of Christ compels us to give and to give generously for our own transformation, but of course for the transformation of the world around us. And then as you continue reading this passage, what's really interesting is you not only see how giving transforms your own heart, not not only how giving transforms the world around you, but you encounter this really powerful truth that somehow when you give, you invest in eternity and you invest in heaven. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, by doing this, by giving, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. And by the way, this isn't an isolated text. This isn't the only spot you would find an idea like this in Scripture. There are multiple scriptures throughout the New Testament in particular that talk about investing in heaven and investing in eternity. Jesus said to put your treasure in heaven where wrath or where rust and, and moths can't destroy it, where robbers can't steal it. And now here in 1 Timothy 6, he says a very similar idea. Invest in heaven. Lay up for yourself treasure and a good foundation. For the future. And listen, I don't know how to like perfectly teach what that's going to look like for you in heaven. There have been some that have tried to promise if you give today, you're gonna to have some like magical heavenly treasure chest with gold coins overflowing for you when you walk into heaven. I don't think that's what Paul's saying, I don't think that's what it means. But time and time again in scripture, you see this idea that when you give today, somehow you're investing in heaven for the future. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like for you, but the biblical truth and the spiritual truth is seen throughout the New Testament, that as you give, you're storing treasure for yourself up in heaven. And I love it because although it's delayed gratification to like the 99th degree, you give now and you don't even see all the impact of what's happening. You see some, but you definitely don't see the eternal impact of it. But God is saying to us the way you give on earth actually matters for eternity. Your generosity today counts for eternity. Somehow some way it impacts your future. I mean you take this thought and then you look back at verse 7 where Paul wrote that you came into the world with nothing and you leave with nothing. I mean these are sobering truths but they're really exciting because it means your generosity is not lost on God. He invites you into a lifestyle of generosity because he knows that it will transform your heart and it will transform the world and that somehow or some way your generosity will count for eternity. Your generosity counts for eternity. Here's how I want to invite you to respond today. If you call this church your home, I want to to invite you to give consistently and give generously. And if you're not ready to do that, or if you're not sure if this is your home church, then that's okay. You can be with us without giving. You don't have to give to belong to this church. Same with the kingdom of God. But pray about giving consistently and pray about giving generously because a transformation is waiting, awaiting. There are real needs we have as a church and your generosity makes those things happen. But I have to say more than our needs... I'm inviting you into this because I believe what's in here. I believe what's in here for your life. I've seen the transformation that generosity has had on my life and on our family's life. And I want that same kind of transformation and that same kind of discipleship for you. I know that the world is after your heart. I know that money wants to control your life. I know that the almighty dollar will require you to sacrifice on the altar of your own soul giving more and more of your time and your energy and money. But I know that Jesus died to set you free. And giving is a practical way to live out that freedom. Setting up a consistent and a regular gift that could be monthly or bi-weekly. Maybe it's determined by how you get paid or how you pull from retirement. All of that stuff, it's all up to you. But I've just seen and I've just witnessed that when you establish consistently an offering to the Lord, When you establish consistent giving, it trains your mind, it disciples your soul to let go of the cares of this world, to let go of the love of money, and to lay your entire being in the presence and the love of Jesus Christ. And of course, there'll be be moments of extravagant generosity if you hang around this church long enough. We'll do our Convoy of Hope offering again next fall, and you can be a part of that in October. But next year, we'll, we'll talk a lot about local outreach giving and how God's going to use 1213 Riverside to impact thousands of people in northern Colorado. We'll talk about that. You know, we've even received as a church, like, legacy gifts and estate planning gifts. And I've always been blown away by that. You never know when it's going to happen, but someone passes, and in their estate planning or in their will, they've written in Vineyard Church of the Rockies, and a tithe on their estate shows, like, this is mind-boggling to me. It's so meaningful to know that people want their hard-earned money, their their work that they established on earth to continue working in the kingdom long after they're in heaven. This, This kind of stuff, right? I mean, like, if you're in your 20s and 30s, what I just said doesn't even make any sense to you at all. You're not thinking about that. But as you're Net worth grows, and as you move into your 50s and your 60s and 70s and beyond, these types of things are more on your mind. I just want to let you know, if that's a conversation you want to have, Mary Ann, she's a great person to have that conversation with. She's working with Vineyard USA to set up a a whole partnership about what that can look like. There's links in my sermon notes about ways that you can give and all of that. Just pray about that, particularly if you call this your church home. But here's, here's how I want to close this morning. I want to close by reminding you of how we opened our time together. And this is important enough for us to hear it all one more time. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You can't give enough or sacrifice enough to be forgiven. You know, one of the most beautiful things in the kingdom of God is that you don't get loved more if you give more. God already loves to love you. When we read scripture, sometimes we, sometimes we like agree with God that he loves us because it's written in here. But sometimes we miss the fact that he actually enjoys loving you. God loves to love you. And if you give, it doesn't mean that he's going to love you more. By the way, it's the complete opposite in the world, if you've ever noticed that. If you spend more money on tickets, you get closer to the action. You get rewarded the more you spend in the world. If you spend more money at a concert, you get special backstage passes. You get really close to the artist that you love. If you give to a political candidate, if you give enough, you're going to get invited to special dinners. You might even get honored and clapped for. Not so much in the kingdom of God. You don't get a special seat just because you've given to the Lord. In fact, the scriptures are clear that the only way that you can have a ticket into heaven is through a personal relationship with Jesus. You can't store up enough generosity kind of tickets to get into heaven. You can't write checks to forgive your sins. Only Jesus can eternally forgive you. John 3, 16 and 17 says it plainly. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Our generosity today is a response to his generosity on our behalf. And he holds nothing back, not even his own son, not even his own life. If you are trusting in anything other than Jesus for eternity, whether that's your own strength, whether that's your good works, or whether that's your giving statement at the end of the year, this is is not the gospel. Eternity with Christ happens through, through a relationship with him. All of our generosity is given in response to his generous love for us. Let's pray.